0: Hello friend, welcome to Running Scared. I'm Coach Christine. I am a level two RRCA and a run, walk, run certified coach. And if you enjoy a bit of true crime along with running, or at least you're willing to get laced up for a good walk or a killer cardio session, then welcome, because you have found your corner of the internet. We are likely going to be fast friends. Without any further chit chat here, let's get right into our workout because that's what you came here for, right? So let's go into a walking warmup in three, two, and one. The warm up is really important. You really should not be skipping it. I know, I know you got things to do and you want to get on with the workout, but my friend, this warm up will allow you to feel much better as we go into some of our sessions for today because we're going to have a little bit of speedy feet here. But for our warm up, you want to make sure to set that intention of having good, tall, strong posture right out of the gate. So, again, nice and tall. You're staying relaxed by keeping those shoulders down and back, keeping your chest open, you're staying light on your feet. And a couple of things here, if you're rolling through in this workout outdoors, please be mindful and aware of your surroundings. It's also a great practice to let somebody know where you're heading, where you're at, or at least when to expect you back at home. Make sure this is somebody that you love and trust, my friend, and they don't maybe have a life insurance policy out on you. Just kidding, kinda not. If they're inside, if you're rolling inside and maybe you're in a treadmill, elliptical, spin bike, well, that still is something you need to take into consideration in terms of your posture. So you're engaging your core and you're not hanging over that display or hanging onto those handrails. So great work. And if you're on that treadmill, let's go ahead and bring it up to at least a 1% incline to help and minimize the impact on your joints. Before we dive into our case a little further, I'm going to warn you right here, right now that this particular true crime case is like a pharmaceutical treasure cove of all sorts of drugs and drug use. So if that in any way may trigger you, please be aware that we're going to talk a lot about it because it goes with the scene that we're going to discover today. There's also going to be talk of mental illness, and while this case is kind of like the club kid version of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's more like candy, drugs, electronic music, and, well, murder, because again, that's what we're here. However, I'm guessing that you knew what you were getting into when you signed up and you hit play, so let's keep moving and grooving here. So a great work on warming it up, my friend. As we move forward, I want you to know that for today's workout, we are really gonna harness in that rate of perceived effort, which is the RPE scale that helps us to structure the workout and tailor it to wherever you are in your fitness journey. However, we are going to use the RP scale, a little true crime style. One is we're out for an easy peasy lemon squeezy stroll with our true crime bestie. We're chit-chatting about our latest true crime obsession. Ten is There is a murder on the loose heading your way. You better sprint for your life. And we are going to do a little bit of sprinting in today's workout. We're going to sprinkle those in. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a few moments. I'm going to add that full RPE scale into episode notes. If you ever have any questions on it, feel free to reach out to me at Christine at runwinefinishlines.com. Okay, my friends, it's time we chit chat a little bit. You hear the music. It's a little different than what I usually play here with the Running Scared because we are going to have our own version of a Club Kid Disco 2000 party here. And since we are talking about the Club Kid Killer, we're going to break out our glow sticks, we're going to add on our candy bracelets, and we're gonna ready to repeat the mantra of Club Kids and Candy Ravers around the world, all about that, peace, love, unity, and respect. So let's get ready to go back in time when Geraldo reigned supreme on daytime TV and the Club Kids ruled the night friends if you're a part of my facebook community page the running scared community you know that i consider this one of the first pieces that i was so obsessed with and as a former candy raver myself i was heavily inspired by the club kid scene i thought it was beautiful because it was a place where everybody would come to accept you for who you were you could march the beat of your own drum without fear of judgment so i was shocked to hear that this subculture One that I thought came to be of radically embracing everyone with love and acceptance would actually end with the murder of one of their own. I've read the books, I've watched documentaries, I saw more daytime TV than anybody should ever watch in their life in preparation for today's case and I'm going to include the movie Party Monster, where Macaulay Culkin did a phenomenal job of portraying Michael Alec, our actual club kid, king and killer. So as we wrap up this warm up, let's know that for today's workout, we're going to have conversation pieces for four minutes, then we're going to push it up for two minutes and then a one minute sprint. We'll talk more about that in our actual workout. Let's take it up to our first conversation pace in three, two and one. So again, for this workout, we're going to break it up into sets where we're going to hang out here for four minutes in conversation pace, which is about a three to four on that RPE scale. And I'm going to give you the option to push up the pace for two minutes into a comfortably hard, about a five or a six, maybe even a seven for those 120 seconds. Or again if you're looking at doing this as more of an incline workout on that treadmill or resistance on your elliptical you could do that as well then for 60 seconds i am going to have you sprint at that nine maybe even if you're feeling a little spicy ten or really bringing up that incline on the treadmill to where it's really challenging and you feel it in your booty my friends we're gonna repeat that cycle that four two one all the way through the end of this workout. Well, we're going to end though with a cool down. And again, make this your own. You don't have to follow exactly what I'm telling you to in terms of the RP scale. You can walk this entire workout and just pop up into different inclines if you are so inclined, or you could play back and forth between a run walk interval if you prefer, again, there's so many different ways, and I'm always available to help you change this up and tailor it for what you need at christina.runwinfinishlens.com. At okay, let's talk about this case, shall we? So we're going to turn the hands of time back to 1996. Don't worry, we're going to go even further back than that in our time travel capsule here. But for right here, right now, we're going to start off with 1996. Because during that year, for nine months, gruesome rumors circulated through the New York City club scene, like wildfire. Andre Melendez, known as Angel, was 25, a fixture on the downtown party circuit, known for his flamboyant costume with full-size feather-covered wings, had gone missing. His disappearance became the subject of a macabre guessing game. Was it an abrupt change of address? Was it foul play, or perhaps just a publicity stunt meant to generate notoriety for a new club? Because again, that scene was kind of known for over-the-top promotions. Then on November 2nd, the city medical examiner's office announced that a dismembered corpse had been washed up on Sadden Island during the month of April, and that that corpse actually belonged to Angel. And on November 3rd, the Manhattan district attorney charged the killer, which was the well-known king of the thriving underground club scene, Michael Alex. This was known as the downtown's best party promoter. His gatherings in Manhattan night spots drew thousands of young people eager to be at the center of the glitterati action. Prosecutors said that Michael, who at the time of his arrest was 30 years old, had killed Angel during an argument about money inside Michael's apartment on West 43rd Street in early March. The details, however, are not quite so clear and dry, my friends. As we learn a little bit more, we're going to take it back a little bit further to the, mar- the night of March 17, 1996. Michael and his roommate, Robert D. Riggs, known to the party world as Freeze, got into an argument in Michael's apartment with Angel over many things, now including a long-standing drug debt. Michael and Freeze claimed many, many times that they were so high on drugs that their memory of the events is a little hazy. But again, how did we get here? Club party kids are known for maybe questionable fashion choices, but not for murder. We'll learn more in our next two-minute segment. Let's go in three, two, one. This is where we push into that comfortably hard, taking it up a notch, pedal to the metal, my friends. Let's go. Again, club party kids known for, you know, being a little unique in their fashion choices, maybe a little bit of a drug addiction or two but definitely not known for murder. So let's go ahead and unravel this a little bit further, shall we? So who are these Club Kids? If you are thinking, what in the world are you talking about, Coach Christine? The Club Kids were a group of young New York City dance club personalities, popularized by, again, our New York club promoter, Michael Allig, and James St. James, which was his frenemy. Julie Jules are some to be named. A couple of others that you may have heard of, DJ Superstar Keoki, Ernie Glam, and then some of the other people that came out of the scene, Amanda Lepore, Walt Paper, which is Walt Cassidy. The It Twins, Jenna Talia, pretty famous as well, Desi Santiago, Kabuki Starshine, and Richie Rich and RuPaul. Mm -hmm, You heard me. Before there was Drag Race, there was the Club Kid Mecca, and RuPaul was definitely part of that crowd. The group was notable for its members' flamboyant behavior and outrageous costumes. In 1988, writer Michael Musto wrote about the club kids, and his words was, it was a cult of crazy fashion and petulance. They are terminally superficial. They have dubious aesthetic values. They are master manipulators, exploiters, and thank God they are partiers. All right, friends, you're taking into that 60-second sprint. Let's do it in three. Two and one. Let's move it on up again. This is about a eight, nine, maybe even a nine and a half. But for this first sprint, I'm going to tell you, maybe don't take it all the way. Don't floor it. Don't use all that gas. Let's leave some of the tank for the remainder of this workout, but definitely check in with that posture. And again, if you are in a treadmill or maybe you're elliptical, there's so many different ways to challenge yourself here. You can change up the incline or the resistance or when in doubt, always focus on having the best possible form. Maybe like you're going to stretch your own outrageous outfit down the runway of A super popular New York nightclub. We'll meet again in our four minute conversation pace and pick up the story again in just 15 seconds. We're gonna go ahead and pull it back again in five, four, three, two, and one. Give yourself about 30 seconds when you first pull back the pace to catch your breath and ease back into this conversation pace. A little lighter, a little easier, and again, in about 30 seconds, you'll feel a little bit more at home here. And you may even find that it feels a little easier in this conversation pace than it did the first time around. Now, again, back to the club kids. The group was recognized as an artistic and fashion-conscious youth culture. They were a definitive force in New York City's underground club culture at that time. And several club kids have made long lasting contributions to mainstream art and fashion. I mean, even like Terry Mugler, to name just off the top of my head is someone who I know who has utilized the club kids as his inspiration. And according to former club kid wallpaper, the nightclub for me was like a laboratory, a place where you were encouraged and rewarded for experimentation. And Michael has been hailed as the king of this movement. But it was a far cry from his very conservative upbringing. Michael Alec was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. He was the second of two sons born to John and Elkie Alec. His mother, a native of Bremerhaven, Germany, moved to the United States after marrying his father, who was a computer programmer. The couple divorced when Michael was four years old. Michael remained incredibly close to his mother all the way through his childhood, his teen years, when he moved away, and into his adult life. Michael attended Grissom Middle School and Penn High School there in South Bend, where he was a straight-A student, and he graduated in the top 8% of his class. However, during his teenage years, Michael reported that he was often bullied because of his sexuality and, well, he didn't adhere to the regular, well, he didn't conform to what was seen at that time as just being part of the normal crowd. He was always a little bit more flourish with his dress and the way that he spoke. Mother had gone on to say that he was actually well ahead of his time. his peers didn't even realize that the things that he was doing were so cool. They, were, they themselves were just too far behind to understand how cool he was. However, Michael, seeking a less conservative social environment, maybe one that he would be more appreciated for his forward thinking. So after he graduated in 1984, he attended Fordham University in New York City. He studied architecture there before he transferred to the Fashion Institute of Technology. There at FIT, he met the boyfriend of artist, Keith Herring, who introduced Michael to New York City nightlife. That's pretty good that we go ahead and mention here that Michael was positively obsessed with Andy Warhol and the factory scene. So he loved the art, he loved that nightclub life. He thought Andy Warhol was a god. And he was pretty excited to make his way into that nightlife as well because Michael soon dropped out of school and began working at Danceteria Super Hot Nightclub as a busboy. And when Andy Warhol passed on, Michael felt like his time to reign supreme in the New York City scene had finally come. During his time at Danceteria, he met James St. James. The two became, as I mentioned earlier, the best frenemies that New York City could ever hope for. We'll learn a little bit more about his friendship with James St. James in our next two-minute segment. Let's push it up a notch in three, two, and one. I told you, my friends, this is going to be a killer cardio workout. Don't give up now. Let's push it. I know you've got what it takes, my friends. James St. James, who also wrote the book Disco Bloodbath to discuss his time in the New York club scene and maybe his version of how these events went down, was already part of the glitterati scene. And he taught Michael everything that he knew. But let's not get it twisted because Michael wasn't devoid of his own ideas and thoughts. He has charms and really natural instincts as to what would make something really hot, at least in New York he did. He knew how to get folks to show up to a good party. He would line up music, the DJs, he set these outrageously amazing themes, and he would make sure that a quorum of beautiful people showed up. His offbeat fashion sense, his flair for the outrageous made his parties trendy for those who attended, and it made it incredibly financially lucrative for the club owners of where he threw these parties at, like one such Peter Gation. Well Peter Gation had all of the nightclubs at that time under his empire. And I mean all the ones that you would know of as the places to be. Like limelight, tunnel, the hot spots of the eighties and nineties, they were next level of where Studio Four, Studio Fifty Four has left off at. And again back to Michael, he knew that shocking people, a little shock and awe would really gather them, get them ready and get them moving towards getting lined up for his nightclubs or his parties. So his party invitations were designed for that shock value. One even featured a photo of Michael lying on the pavement, pretending that his head had been smashed open. And it is a pretty gory one. Friends, let's take it up 60 seconds into that sprint. So this is your time that eight, nine or 10 on that RP scale in three, two and one. We'll pick up again more about these parties on the other side in our next conversation pace. We've got this. After this sprint, we literally have just one more set and then we'll have our cool down. This is sometimes the hardest one because it's that last before that second to last, but I know you've got it in you. So stand tall again, really engaging your core and focusing on your breath. Maybe you just got your new hot invite to this Glitterati party. You've got VIP treatment coming up and you wanna make your way to that front door. Let's go. Add a little bit of glitter and let's keep moving. And 10. You've got this, don't pull back yet. In five, four, three, two, and one. Let's go ahead and pull back now. If you need to bring it back into a walk for a few seconds, feel free to do so. Or if you need to pull back the pace, maybe grab a sip of water, feel free to do that as well. But then get right back to it, my friends. This workout is not for the weak, it's not for the meek at heart, that's for sure. Let's be bold, let's be audacious here. All right, so back to these parties. Although the members of the Glitterati were never ever charged admission, thousands of clubgoers happily paid cover charges of $20 or more to attend the party of the moment. Now I know you're thinking $20 is not that much. I spent that at Starbucks yesterday, but friends, we are still talking about the late 80s, early 90s, that was unheard of at that time to have a club cover charge that would be that much. It's not like he got you anything. You didn't get a drink ticket. You just got inside to see where all the cool people were at or who they thought were cool people at the time. So for years, Michael was the undisputed center of that world. He appeared on the cover of New York Magazine. He was covered on The Voice. He was even got a couple of mentions in New York Post, New York Times, and he was invited to all of the daytime talk shows of that day. Geraldo, Joan Rivers, Jerry Springer. His Wednesday night party, Disco 2000, was where everybody wanted to meet. It was a mix of gay, straight cultures, outrageous fashion, and a little recreational drug use. You know what I'm saying, my friends. To Michael, who grew up in South Bend, Indiana, where he was treated as an outcast because he was gay. The scene. That he created offered a refuge from middle American disapproval. And it created a social circle, a family in which unconventionality was accepted, admired, flaunted, and applauded. So needless to say, he had found his place, my friends. One of these such people who came out of the Club Kid scene, Lady Bunny, you may know her, it was, she goes on to say, it was great for him to be in a world where you can be as wild as you want. Lady Bunny was actually a former employee of Michael's he had employed. She was also went on to become the former organizer of the annual Wigstock Drug Festival, and we'd likely have seen her on RuPaul's Drag Race as well. Well, Michael worked for Peter Gation for several years. He promoted parties at Limelight, at Tunnel, at Night Spots. He also went on to throw what were called outlaw parties, where he would just show up to a random Burger King and have all of his pub kids descend upon it until the party ended with the police showing. Actually, that was their goal every single time, to get shut down by the police, to get arrested, to cause as much scene and get as much promotion. He very strongly believed in there was no such thing as bad press. So, friends, he did also get arrested, though, during this time, not just for these outlaw parties, but he also got arrested several times for his drug use that he started to spiral and his chemical abuse got worse and worse until Peter Gation had to let Michael go. Well, that's one story. That's a more cleaned version of it. What really happened was that Peter had the feds on his ass and he had to shut Michael's parties down, at least try to get them out of his nightclub because the feds were looking to shut him down and throw him away forever and literally lose the key. But Michael was really plagued by heavy drug use. He had begun adding drug dealers to the club kids roster, and he even figured out a way to get Peter Gation to pay for having the club, the drug dealers on payroll. Increasingly, numbers of the club kids became addicted to drugs. Friends, let's take it up to our next two minute segment in three, two, and one. You're pushing into comfortably hard or bringing up that incline again. Let's go. Let's go. The movement also began to decline when Rudy Giuliani took office as mayor of New York in 1994, because Rudy Giuliani pretty much ran on a campaign called the Quality of Life campaign, and he wanted to clean up New York City. He wanted to target the city's nightlife industry. With this party scene becoming more and more plagued with drug use, scattering of its members due to arrest or the death due to overdoses, michael had fallen into a deep dark hole of abuse which brings us to angel who on the first blush when you hear about this case you may think oh he was just a drug dealer really does that matter he maybe got what he deserved but my dears nothing is what it seems because CR see, our angel he got his nickname from those wings that i told you about that he wore to all the clubs and as an immigrant from columbia his family arrived to new york city when he was just eight years old hoping to pursue the American dream. But Angel never quite fit in until he found the club kids. He thought, yes, this is a place for me. I can finally be accepted. He desperately sought his place with the other club kids. But ironically, at this point, this subculture that was originally all about being inclusive and a place of refuge for folks from all walks of life, well, they didn't accept Angel at all, especially not with open arms. And he soon found that the only way to be liked by his peers or the peers that he desperately wanted the approval of or to even be invited to any of their parties was to be the one with drugs and man oh man when he had drugs on him did everyone like him and even more they were willing when he was willing to give it to them for free just so he could be a part of their clique well, michael at the height of his king pen of club royal throne The desperation that Angel had to fit in, he saw that and he used it against him. And he used Angel. While, yes, he was able to get Angel on Peter Gation's payroll, he didn't do it out of the kindness of his own heart for Angel. He did it so he could be closer to the drugs. However, Angel soon started to see that he was being used and that people that he was buying the drugs from needed to collect their money. So he went to Michael and said, Hey, friend, I like you. I like you a lot. I want to be just like you when I grow up but I have to pay these people back. So you have to pay me. Well, Michael ignored him, stole from him, mocked him. Until that fateful night when Angel finally said no mas and put his foot down. Friends, we're taking it into our last 60 seconds and then we'll have our cool down on the other side in three, two, and one. Let's go. That's right. 60 seconds. This is your final push. You have a walk waiting for you on the other side. You have an opportunity to bring the incline back down or pull that resistance off on the other side of this. So give this all you've got, my friends. The music kind of move your feet. Maybe again, you're on your way to a disco 2000 before the scene got all gross with drug use. Well, it probably always had drug use, didn't it? <laughs> And when I say drug use, my friends, they used everything. Everything from ecstasy, cocaine, heroin. Ketamine was very popular at that time. Needless to say, their decision-making wasn't probably the best. We have a lot to cover on the other side, so I want you to really push it. Let's go in five, four, three, two. And one. All right, we are cooling it down. Great job, my friends. So let's learn a little bit more about why Angel put his foot down, or we know why he put his foot down. Let's revisit the night of the murder and try to make sense of the drug-hazed memory of Michael and Freeze. So on Sunday, March 17, 90, 1996, Angel was killed by Michael and Freeze, and according to various statements that they made to others and to the police, because let me tell you, they told pretty much every single person who would be willing to listen to them. Michael and Angel got into an argument and it quickly escalated. According to Michael and Freeze, it became violent and Angel became physically, being physically larger than Michael, was able to take the upper hand. They say that he pushed Michael onto a glass table and then he pinned him against a wall and Michael turned out and cried for help. Freeze, trying to protect Michael, went to the defense of him and he hit Angel on the head with a hammer three times they said in their words until Angel went down. Well, friends, Freeze and Michael state that it was just a light tap, tap, tap with the hammer. But the fact that they remember that it made an audible noise and they used the claw side of the hammer, uh, I don't think that that was a light tap, tap, tap. Angel went down and then they report that Michael then smothered Angel Again, just to continue protecting themselves, but they don't remember if it was with a pillow or a sweatshirt. Then, for good measure, they decided we should pour Drano in his mouth. So Michael poured Drano down uh, down Angel's mouth and then covered his mouth with duct tape so that he wasn't able to vomit it out. That's one source. One source says that they actually injected him with Drano. I don't know. Either way, it sounds like once you put Durano into the mix, they really did not want him to ever be able to have the chance to come back to then stripped Angel's body. They placed his body in a bathtub where it remained for about five to seven days, because according to Freeze during that time, they went out and binged on every drug possible. They also stole a whole lot of money from him. Whatever he had on his person, it stole his credit cards. They stole everything they could from him. And with the money that they stole, Freeze went down to Macy's and he purchased two chef knives and one cleaver. And he said, Michael, after taking ten bags of heroin, dismembered Angel's legs, and then Freeze and Michael wrapped Angel's legs separately in garbage bags, placed them into individual duffel bags, and threw those in the Hudson River. The next day, they wrapped the upper body of Angela in a sheet in a plastic garbage bag, placed it in a cardboard box, and then they took the heavy box down the elevator and through the main lobby, placed it in the trunk of a yellow cab that, in their words, just happened to be right outside the door. Freeze went on to say that they took the body to the West Side Highway around 25th Street and then when the taxi drove off they threw the box into the river. Some accounts say that Michael actually suggested that the taxi driver helped them but I don't know if I believe anything that Michael says. Originally, Michael really, really tried to go with the whole self-defense, but shortly after this actually happened, he started to brag about the murder of Angel. He told pretty much everybody on the scene that they were part of that he had killed Angel, and it wasn't too long before Angel's family had come looking. Angel's brother and father had gone to the authorities, but the authorities were unwilling to help because, eh. Angel wasn't the biggest priority for them, as far as they were concerned. He was a gay drug dealer who was a Colombian immigrant. That was the least of their concerns if he went missing. They turned to the press, and then finally, Michael Musto, who had originally written quite a bit of complimentary articles about the club kids since he was part of the scene as well, ran a blind item in his Village Voice column, and he pretty much called out Michael and Freeze for murdering Angel. Angel's family continued to put a lot of pressure onto the press, who then turned kind of helped the police decide that they should take it a little bit more seriously. And luckily with the help of this media, then a coincidental discovery of another dismembered body, one of the police officers who had been following the case on the media decided that he should kind of help them open up Another dismembered body that had been identified incorrectly as an Asian male. So that's when they found, using dental records, that that body that had previously been incorrectly identified was actually Angel's, and again on November 2nd, that's when they came to the conclusion that it was Angel Melendez, and they confirmed the rumors. During this time, Michael had fled to New Jersey, where he moved into a motel room with his boyfriend, another drug dealer named Brian. And then on December fifth, nineteen ninety-six, the police arrested Michael at the at the motel. And hours later, they arrested Freeze in Manhattan. Michael continued to at first say that it was just self defense. But then again, friends, when they started to divulge the details, it wasn't quite that easy to say it was just self defense. But prosecutors were hesitant to charge Michael with first degree murder, as they still hoped that he would help them testify against their, his former boss, nightclub owner and nightclub empire, Peter Gation, who had been arrested for allowing those drugs to be sold in his nightclubs. They eventually offered both Michael and Frieza a plea deal, a sentence of 10 to 20 years if they accepted a lesser charge of manslaughter. So on October 1st, 1997, they both pleaded guilty and they were sentenced to 10 to 20 years. Because of their convictions, Michael and Fries, were not used as prosecution witnesses in Peter Gashen's trial. Peter ended up being found guilty and being deported back to Canada. But the story doesn't end there. Freeze was released into parole in 2010. He went back to school, immersed himself in the world of academia, and for all intents and purposes, he seems to be doing well with his life and kind of in the anonymity of academia. Michael, our dear sociopath Michael, was released on May 5th, 2014. He went right back to New York, right back into the scene. He tried to revive his places where he was previously. And then on September 7th, 2014, he and his fellow club kid, Ernie Glam, began their own YouTube channel. You can find it, I'll link it if you'd like, but trust me, it's not worth your time. It was called the Piwa. And unfortunately, he had never really kicked his drug addiction. It got the best of him and on christmas day of 2020 michael was found dead of a drug overdose at the age of 54 so my friends this is the tale of the club kids and as we wrap up this killer cardio club workout i want you to go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back pull it on back completely as we wrap this up i want us to discuss our lessons learned my friends lesson number one i think it's very obvious isn't it don't do drugs easy Really, just say no. There's a reason why that campaign was so popular. Lesson number two, well I think that's pretty much just as blatantly obvious as lesson number one. When someone goes around saying that they killed someone and then that other person has been missing for weeks on end, maybe we should go ahead and go to the authorities and believe them, right? All right, my friends, thank you for listening. I can't wait to hear what you think about Michael, his Club Kids and this case. Trust me, it is actually truly fascinating. There's so much media out on this. I definitely gave you a Runner's Digest version of it all. But hit me up on Facebook group if you wanna talk a little bit more about the Club Kids. If you enjoyed the case in this workout, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast cause it helps from discoverability purposes. Thank you so much for Running Scared with Coach Christine.